<clears throat> so our mission statement, the, the foundation ABF mission statement is to lay the foundation of Jesus Christ in the lives of everyone in our class by teaching the Bible and establishing one another in the mutual blank. What goes in the blank? It's down below there, one of those verses. Our mutual what? It's the very last verse there. It's uh, mutual faith. <clears throat> yep. <clears throat> so the word faith goes in your blank. We, uh, Don and I were talking yesterday. Sometimes it's easy to understand the Bible, but sometimes it's hard to believe. And even in the book of Jeremiah, uh, I guess it was Isaiah 45 that prophesied Cyrus uh, would conquer the Babylonians. And nearly 150 years later, he did. So the Bible predicted it predicts things, so it's just hard to believe that the Lord can predict the future, but He does, and He can, and and uh, and our the rest of that is then to support the mission of HBF. So these key verses are according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. Paul says, "I have laid the foundation, and another man another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon." For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is our foundation that we want everyone to know him. <clears throat> and then the, book, the verse from Romans, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So those are just kind of, both of those together kind of make up our mission statement for this class. And so uh, I trust everyone in here does know Jesus as their Savior, and we want to know him better through his word. Uh, the book of Job says, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. So as we get acquainted with the Lord, acquainted with his word, we have peace. So at this time, I'm going to, I think that this is a seven-minute video and I don't, hopefully we can, uh, I'm going to turn this on, and hopefully this works. But I, I looked at several videos on YouTube this week, just kind of overviews of, of the book of Jeremiah. And this one, uh, we'll see if we can get it going here. Seven minutes, overview of Jeremiah, here it goes. Look at the topic, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an Israelite priest who lived and worked in Jerusalem during the final decades of the kingdom. Chuck, can you shut that light? All of the prophets warned Israel about the consequences of breaking their covenant with God through their idolatry, deception, and even forgiveness of empire of Babylon. Who's coming to God? Servants, bring them to judgment. You guys hear it okay? Jeremiah lived through the kingdom of the prophets. Now, this book came into existence really in this way. Chapter 36 tells us that after 20 years of Jeremiah's preaching in Jerusalem, God called him to collect all of his sermons and poems and essays and scriptures which Jeremiah did by employing the scribe, named Baruch, who wrote down and compiled all of his materials in the book. Now, Baruch also gathered lots of words about the book begins with God calling Jeremiah Jeremiah also received a few of the leaders 
priest, king, and other prophets when all the people stopped and abandoned the people around them. This has led to this type of result, granted to the The most vulnerable people in this life, widows, orphans, students, were all being taken and adjusted to a violation of the law. So, a perfect place where all of these ideas come together is in the practice section of the Israelites. Israelites are coming to worship their God in the temple and they are going to be outside the temple, they are worshiping other gods, and some were even adopting the horrifying Israelite section of child sacrifice. And Jeremiah makes this very uncomfortable. God of Israel is coming. He's going to destroy his own temple and punish Israel by sending enemies This is an army that God would allow to conquer Jerusalem. If you read on, you discover he's talking about the great empire of Israel. And so this all leads up to the transition to the second Israel hasn't turned out to be God. And so in the first year of Babylon, two things God tells Jeremiah to that the Babylonian army that's headed for Israel and all its neighbors to conquer them and take them into exile. He turns back on to some of the blocks, the old sort of grim God of justice, and all of Israel is just in the theology. God will make Israel and the nation of Israel. Now, chapter is key to the book of the God, because everything that follows is going to help us on that one. First on Israel, chapter 26, 45, and then on the nation, chapter 46. The text about Israel first contains stories about how Jeremiah finished Israel to turn back, how he warned them right up to the last minute, the leaders of Israel kept Israel. The text concludes with a large part of the story about how Jerusalem was under siege and eventually destroyed by Babylon. Jeremiah was persecuted all through that time and eventually kidnapped and taken against Israel to Egypt by the leaders of Israel. Now, right here in the middle, in between all these dark stories of the past, is a collection of Jeremiah's messages of hope for the Jews. So he picks up on Moses' prediction that after Israel had broken the covenant and gone to God did not abandon the people. Rather, he was renewed his covenant and Jeremiah develops his response. He says that God is going to one day describe the law of the people, not on tablets, but rather on the heart of the He's going to heal their results so that they can truly find out love and quality. And so one day, Israel will return back. And the Messiah and the line of David will become that that all nations will come to recognize Israel's God. So the chapter discovers that despite Israel's prophecy, God is not going to let Israel bring That is, his own statement will bring about the fulfillment of promises. After this, we find the large destruction of poems about how God is going to use Babylon to judge the nation. So the Philistines, Moab, Edom, and Amor, not so much. But then, finally, the long poem is going to be and they're about God's coming judgment on Babylon. So although God uses it to execute the judgment, God doesn't ignore the environment. So Babylon too will come to the judgment. So Jeremiah denounces the Now, Babylon is larger than life. And it reminds us of the image of Babylon all the Babylon has become the architectural of and the glorification, wealth, horror, and stuff will give the nation over to it. The book concludes with the story taken from the end of the book of Seth. It tells about Babylon's final attack on Jerusalem, how they destroyed it with walls and burned it with The story shows how Jeremiah's warning of judgment about its one point one But then, the chapter ends with the story about the captive Israelite king of the voice and heir to the mind. And here that one of the things that Joseph is saying, I'm inviting you to the Lord's name, and that's the heart, and that's everything. So it's a little glimmer, and this recalls Jeremiah's promise of the book in chapter 13. God has promised it, or the promise of the future coming to the world. And so while this book contains a huge amount of warning, just the final word in the future, quote, that's what I'm not.
think. Go ahead and turn that back on. So yeah, we uh what happened? We took uh you know, nearly nearly a year and a half to go kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but that was pretty good summary of the whole book, wasn't it? In in seven minutes there. <clears throat> did did you pick out anything maybe you hadn't thought of or hopefully it jogged your memory things we talked about or any discussion there on that? It it did end up with that uh highlight of hope that Pam and and Jim uh we talked about last week. But um let me pull up one little thing here. I think this is the one I wanted to talk about. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you ever heard these terms before, but uh, you might have heard the word in this in this left-hand column. It says before the exile. Sometimes you might hear them called pre, pre-exilic, pre-exilic. And, and what does exile mean? Yeah, like exit and uh, taken away. So yeah, so these books of our Bible were written before the exile, <clears throat> and you see Jeremiah and Lamentations is kind of pre-exilic and during the exile. And uh, lo and behold, these are our two heroes here. Uh, Daniel, the first deportation. Let's see. Get that in my pocket here. And then even these uh, last three characters are uh, familiar. Haggai and Zechariah, they kind of ministered at the same time after the exile. And then uh, Malachi. But uh, we're going to see here, it was around 605 that Nebuchadnezzar came. And uh, I think it's, uh, this is just 70 years. Um, Trying to think now, is this when... uh, Got it here in my notes. That's when Zerubbabel came back uh, and and started the uh, temple again. So, and then uh, it was 597, and that was that was Ezekiel. So, so this was Daniel. That's when these guys were carried away to captivity, and then uh, it was 586. That was uh, Zerubbabel, or I'm sorry, uh, Zedekiah. The last king was Zedekiah. So these are the 19 years. And and what's interesting is it was in, uh, I've I've got the date in another. Let me show you this other slide before I get into our uh, handouts. I don't know if you can see this very good. So 536 is when uh, Zerubbabel uh, came back to Jerusalem and laid the foundation of the temple, marking that 70-year period. And then uh, the temple was finished in 516. So this was what was kind of interesting, too, in 516. So there was another 70 years here. So there's two different kind of 70-year periods. And uh, I wanted to highlight that. So anyway, I found these charts on our on the internet this week. Uh, he got six oh six the beginning of captivity. I had six oh five. The second captivity with uh, Ezekiel, the temple destroyed, and uh, here's Cyrus and Darius. And I've got another little chart that shows them. But anyway, you can kind of see. Some of these other dates with Ezra and Nehemiah when they come back to the land and put the walls around Jerusalem. and But uh, let's, uh, let's open our Bibles now and let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. 
I want us to see a little bit about uh, Jeremiah's calling here. And hopefully people online can see and hear a little bit of that. So yeah, let's all go to Jeremiah chapter 1 in our Bibles. And we're going to read just a few verses about Jeremiah's calling here. Jeremiah chapter 1. And let's go to verse 4. Jeremiah 1. And we're going to read 4 through 10. And this is kind of Jeremiah's calling. And Jeremiah kind of had to stand alone. And I think these verses help us and hopefully fortify our lives as well. But verse 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And that, that little word there at the end, nations, you know, not not only to Jerusalem, but we, we see he prophesied against uh, eight, eight or so other nations toward the end of this book. And then verse 6 says, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build, and to plant. So this was kind of his mission, and he fulfilled it. Jeremiah, it's a little hard to see, but uh, he was kind of contemporary with Josiah, one of the last, I think Josiah, I've got the, on your hand out there, I've got, he reigned from 640 to 609. And I think in Jim's handout, you got those two boys, you know, being, you know, born about the same time. <clears throat> so Josiah, really the last good king of Judah, he reigned from about four or 640 to 609. So he went off the scene in 609, and a guy named uh, uh, Jehoi- uh, Jehoiakim. Well, it looks it looks like look look at your handout now, Roman numeral two. Talk about these kings. You got Josiah. The, the next one is Jehoaz or Shalom. He he only reigned for three months. And then Jehoiakim was really the one that had to face Nebuchadnezzar. He reigned for 11 years. And uh, his predecessor was this Jehoiachin or Coniah. And he only reigned for three months as well. And then Zedekiah reigned these last 11 years. So I've got Jeremiah's ministry there from about 629 to 582. It was over 40 years, so, you know, that, that's, that's a good long ministry, isn't it? To be faithful for 40, I think it's 47 years I've got on there. It's a little bit hard, but I gave you uh, these three deportations. We already talked about them, the Daniel and then Ezekiel. So your blank is Ezekiel. <laughs> he was his second deportation. Of course, Jerusalem was destroyed around 586, and I told the class uh, when I was in Israel, you know, our tour guide just said this very matter-of-factly, just, you know, we were carried away into captivity in 586, so this is coming from a Jewish Messianic Jew 
telling that his people were taken into Babylonian captivity in 586. And so he, we were on a bus ride from Tel Aviv to, uh, I don't know where we were going that day, but anyway, he, he mentioned this exact day. So it's really cool that to match up what, you, what we're studying here in the middle of America is exactly what the Israeli people uh, teach about their heritage as well. And uh, then there was three returns to Jerusalem with, uh, you know, we can, we can see it on, on the board that the first return was with Zerubbabel. And uh, he was not a king. It's good to note that the leaders of Israel after kings, what were they called? Does everybody remember what we said? What were they called instead of a king? Uh, they were governors. There, there's at least three of three people were called governors. I think Gedaliah was one. We we read about him in Jeremiah. Uh, then Zerubbabel. I think he was called a governor. I think there was one or two more. But anyway, uh, so these these are the three people that came back. So Ezra was the other, your next blank there. Uh, his return, Ezra. The Bible says he was a, uh, a prepared scribe. And so Ezra, and uh, some of you know this, Ezra actually helped. Uh, some people think he maybe started the uh, the uh, line of uh, Masorites. The, the, our, our Hebrew Bible has been preserved in the Masoretic text. And so they think he was really the founder of the Masorite priest. They were scribes. You know, when we get to the New Testament, we see scribes and Pharisees. Well, they are all kind of descendants of this scribes that Ezra was so careful and meticulous to preserve this uh, Hebrew scriptures, the writings of our Bible. And uh, some people think he uh, organized a lot of uh, they kind of accredit him, even especially with the Psalms, to have uh, kept them and organized them. So Ezra, we uh, owe a lot to him. And, of course, Nehemiah, the man of God that was the Nebuchadnezzar's uh, cupbearer. That wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. It was the, it was the king, uh, the Medes and the Persians. I think it would have been um, with him. But anyway, he was allowed to go back and rebuild the, the walls, and he had a burden. So anyway, uh, all, all that coming back is really uh, symbolic in our lives, because <clears throat> what did Zerubbabel do? We said he lay, laid the foundation, and isn't that the goal of our class? We want to lay the foundation of Jesus Christ. And after you lay that foundation, you need to build thereon. And, you know, Ezra was building thereon. And in our in our church, we have discipleship. What, what do we want to do? We want to be like Nehemiah and build those walls and fortify and make make sure there's guarded gates of entry. We we don't want just you know the enemy invading us. So anyway, the, these three men are just a good description of the Christian life, aren't they? Just lay the foundation, get Jesus Christ in your life, build thereon, and then fortify our lives. So this. You know, we, we study this history and all these facts, and we can kind of get lost in the weeds maybe, but don't, don't miss these big pictures of what God is doing in their lives is, is not unlike what he wants to do in our lives. Amen? Any, any other thoughts about that? I think I gave you the, the three blanks there. And so that, that's at the very bottom of your first page. I, I gave you a, a teaching point there that we need to be a key man or key women in our time in history. So as we look at these uh, kings and leaders, the, these are all key players that God has preserved in his word for us. And so uh, certainly Jeremiah was a key leader in his time. Hey, yeah. You did write uh on this or people will know how to spell it. How is it? 
Okay. Yeah, so, uh, and, and oddly enough, uh, regardless of what Bible you have, scholars don't disagree on the, the when we, we talk about textual criticism, or Jim, Jim's going to talk about in uh, two or three weeks, is it June 12th that we're going to do our, uh, yeah, manuscript evidence. That was the word I was looking for. So, uh, people don't really argue about the Old Testament, uh, the Masoretic text. It, it's more the Greek New Testament that there's differences of opinion. So, anyway, this is just uh, really ironclad. And uh, th- there is a few pe- a few places, I think in Daniel and one other place, where there is some uh, uh, Arabic or... Uh, Aramaic, some some Chaldean, and then that showed you some of the influence that the Babylonians had. Uh, the, the <clears throat> so, uh, all right, page two of your handout. Uh, this roll, this overview of Jeremiah YouTube video. That's what we already watched. I kind of had that out of place. And one of the things I read just this week, just if we're trying to learn some truths in Jeremiah, one of the truths it, it said was God's mercy has an end. And I kind of thought about that because God is, it, it says he's very long suffering. He is gracious. He is loving. And in Jeremiah 31, we read it. Uh, he draws us with his loving kindness. But there is a, a time where God's mercy runs out. And we've seen it that God, you know, he's kind of left no no other option. He has to punish his people and he lets the uh, Babylonians conquer his people and destroy his temple and and all these things. And I don't know if you remember, but there's a little phrase in Jer- uh, 2 Chronicles 36. The phrase is, it was when there was no remedy. And I think that's the point that God God's mercy does run out is when there's no remedy, it's like, I gave you my word, I brought you my prophets, I put you in the land, I've, I've done all these things, and you are still got this rebellious heart. And I was talking to a lady yesterday, we went to uh, Sam Hedges, and, and we were talking about uh, a young lady that we're trying to minister to, and and the young lady I was talking to said, you know, I, I think this lady may just have to suffer really any verbal warnings to them is just not doing any good. They're just driving them further away. And so I thought, wow, that, that's a pretty wise statement. Let me think about that. And that's really what happened to the the, the people of Judah. What did they, they went into captivity. They suffered. And, and you know what? When they came out, idolatry wasn't an issue. It, when you get to the New Testament, it, they don't, you know, it was their time in Babylon. They developed synagogues. They developed a form of worship. They don't have the temple anymore, and so they they built synagogues. And some of that is really the basis for having a church building. We we have a church building. It's just like they had synagogue. It's a place of worship. It's a place of gathering. So all this time in Babylon served different purposes, but the key thing was was to discipline his people that. Uh, idolatry is not okay and their time of suffering kind of broke them of that um, so anyway God's mercy has an end and I gave you a verse there just to seek ye the Lord while he may be found call ye upon him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon and then uh, I gave you another blank. What is that blank? Jeremiah is the blank prophet. He's the weeping prophet. And he was, you know, he was a Jew himself. And it would be like, you know, one of your family members. You're just so broken for them. 
and there's different places there that shows him weeping, uh, not only for his people, but for his nation, for the city. And then I could just put that Jeremiah was not popular, but he was obedient. <clears throat> you know, Jeremiah didn't have a lot of friends, but he he had Baruch. He had this uh, eunuch that we, we read about that helped pull him out of the, the, the pit. <clears throat> and uh, I gave you some key words in Jeremiah. The word backsliding appears at least nine times. And there may be another word for that in there. <clears throat> the word repent was in there 11 times, some form of repent. And also just the word sword and famine and pestilence. Pestilence was in there more than 15 times, but those three together I think were 15 times. But uh, And anyway, so Jeremiah, he, he lives through the events that he prophesied. <clears throat> And then I put that Jeremiah as a type of the 144,000 virgins mentioned in Revelation 14.4 and also in Revelation 7. And be, be turning to Jeremiah 16. I think you're already in Jeremiah. This is kind of an odd request. But Jeremiah 16.2. Some of these prophets were asked to do some really what we would consider outlandish things. I think it was when Ezekiel's mother died, God says, do not weep for your mother. Or was it his wife? Okay. Yeah, don't... Yeah, and Isaiah was told to prophesy for three and a half years naked. <laughs> and, and all these were really graphic images of God's heart toward his people, but here in uh, Jeremiah 16.2, uh, Big Dave, you got that? 16.2? So Jeremiah was told by God right there, do not get married and don't have children. <clears throat> and that, that's a pretty wild thing to ask in I don't know all the reasoning, but uh, we do know this 144,000 in the book of Revelation. It says that they were virgins and they were not to uh, not to get married. So Jeremiah is kind of a type of that. And uh, part, part of the reason is just there, uh, the conditions, you know, kind of like... Uh, Woe to the ladies that were having children in such times. It's just such difficult times to have, you know, kids. If there's a famine and everybody's starving, it doesn't make sense to have children, maybe. And so, so anyway, those are maybe some practical reasons, and maybe, maybe there's spiritual reasons as well. And so, uh, this next section I, I wrote from your handout, Jim. Jeremiah is a type of Christ. And the verse I have there for in Jeremiah 23 is where he's called that branch, this righteous branch. But uh, if you just read these bullet items with me, it says both were uh, sanctified and ordained by God. Uh, both were never married. That's what we just read. Both wept over Jerusalem. Both used uh, a yoke as imagery in their message. Both spoke of the valley of Hinnom in, in ju as judgment and fire. Both were declared worthy of death by corrupt priests. And both prophesied the fall of Jerusalem. Both executed kinsman redeemer laws. That's where Jeremiah uh, bought some land. And then both were led like a lamb to the slaughter. And that was prophesied of the Lord and... and Jeremiah 2. So anyway, there's some uh, types of Christ in the book of Jeremiah. I'm, I'm sure that I tried to write down things like that as we went. And my teaching point there is just there's a, a present and future prophecy about the regathering of all Israel in their land. And, and let's turn to Jeremiah 29. So this happened historically. 
29. And uh, Pat, I'll let you read these. These are some of Pat's favorite verses. Let's read uh, 29, 10, and 11. Yeah. Do you want to comment on that? You can talk a long time. Yeah. Yeah, so God's thinking of them and he... He says after this 70 years is accomplished, he's going to revisit. He's going to allow them to return. And so historically they did return, but it's kind of a double-fold meaning that they're going to return even in the uh, the tribulation time. And then the, the famous verse 11, like you said, and uh, most of you guys know Jan and Desiree Vandekirk. But 29-11 is like their life verse. I mean, they, they came from uh, South Africa here. And and so th- this verse 11 is very special to them. It's special to a lot of people. And, and God's saying, you know, I know my thoughts about you, my people. And uh, one, thing, one of the things we said as we talked through there that... Uh, the words are the vehicle of thought. And so God wrote down his words. He not only thought about his people, he wrote down what he, he tells us. And they're, they're good thoughts. They're thoughts of peace, not of evil. God, God doesn't want evil. He tells us to pray, you know, give us our day, our daily bread and deliver us from evil we, we know there's temptations we know there's evil out there but he wants to give us this expected end there's there, there's a goal he has for his people for us and we are to be conformed to the image of the lord jesus christ and we so any, any other thoughts about that i'm kind of rambling here but Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All along the way. So we're going to be conformed like the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. But between now and there, He gives us hope. He gives us practical things to do. And anyway, be- beautiful. So these are key verses. I underlined uh, other verses in Jeremiah that talk about the regathering of his people. And there's other prophecies in other books. So there's a lot there, and I've kind of added to it. I'm sure that's not exhaustive. And it looks like most of those are Old Testament. But there's even some New Testament verses about uh, Jesus... uh, being on the throne of David and, and things like that, bringing about the <coughs> the Davidic covenant and having Christ on the throne. <coughs> All right. So these reasons for captivity, and again, it was a little hard to summarize this whole book, <coughs> but I thought this, uh, I, I emailed Jeff Trude this week, so this section is mostly Jeff Trude. And so the what what goes in the blank there? This reason for captivity is the breaking of the what? The blank law. It was uh, the Sabbath law. <coughs> we kind of talked about it a little bit, and there's kind of two parts to this. The first was the violation of the indentured poor. Because 
and a lot of this I'm just going to read. If you'll read with me on your second page there, under Roman numeral 4, <clears throat> the breaking of the Sabbath law, two parts, violation of the indentured poor. When the seventh year of the Sabbath came, they were to set at liberty their brethren who had indentured themselves as slaves. <clears throat> and it kind of tells about that in Jeremiah 34. It says, for this blatant violation of taking advantage of their poor brethren and using God's, <coughs> I think that should be covenant to do so, God in turn would have them to be indentured to Babylon. So instead of letting their slaves go free, they did not let their slaves go free at the seventh year. And so God made them slaves in Babylon. And then the... Uh, <coughs> Let's turn to this uh, Leviticus. The land is to rest. So this is the second violation of the Sabbath law that the Jews were guilty of. And I'll put up a chart here in just a minute. But let's look at this Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26 and 23. Angie, I may let you read that. Are you, you there? I think it was 43 maybe that I wanted. Does that sound better? So, uh, we could, we could read several of these. To, maybe go back to twenty five four Leviticus twenty five four. <clears throat> I think we could put some of these together. Read that one too, Andy, if you would. Yeah, here that's a little bit better. Leviticus twenty five four. All right. So every seven years, you weren't supposed to plant. Now, farmers don't do that now, and but <clears throat> I, I guess they would just let it grow up and fall over, and uh, you know, we, we can fertilize and do some other things now that they didn't do then. But anyway, every seven years, they were just so the sixth year. The sixth year, they would hopefully have enough harvest to last to skip a year and plant and harvest a second year, you know. So that that's how it was set up. But the people didn't do that. <clears throat> and let me see if I can find the verse here. It's where it... Let's all turn to Jeremiah now. I'll show you... Uh, You'll think this is really cool. Hopefully you will. I learned something here. Let me, uh, I'm going to look up the verse and show you. Uh, all right, it is. Let's go to Jeremiah 26. And, uh, Evan, I'm going to let you read this, brother. Jeremiah 26 and verse 6. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I spelled that right, I don't think I did. Hey, re read verse 9 also. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So I didn't. When we were going through this, I didn't notice this. <coughs> but um, look at this on on the screen here. <coughs> I did not know this, but uh, Shiloh. It, it was destroyed in Samuel around 1094, and 490 years was was 605. So th this is 490 years since Shiloh that the people uh, did not let the land rest every seven years, and so uh, so. Uh, God put him into captivity for 70 years because of this 490 years of violation of his covenant. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. There's at least four different 490 years in the Bible, and this is one of them. I, I, didn't, I didn't know of this time frame, but Anyway, it's just how precise God is in his word. So, uh, again, this 70 years right here is kind of laid out in this blue line. And I don't know how well you can see it, but but this is when Nebuchadnezzar uh, conquered Jerusalem and took Daniel captive. The second time, this says 598. We said 597. That's Ezekiel. And then the third was the destruction of Jerusalem uh, and Zedekiah down in 586 or 87 and uh, anyway uh, if you look at the real small print here they found uh, a little archaeologist found a stone during the, during the Babylonian captivity that records about the Judah Judah it says uh, see if I can yeah during cap okay there it is right beside that Babylonian captivity the city of the Judeans it's a Jewish colony in Babylon they found this uh, stone that was during that time so anyway the Bible says it archaeology backs it up and I thought this uh, right at the bottom here is a pretty good uh, little series of events also it says in from 539 to 536 Darius of the Medes remember Darius was the one that uh, overtook Babylon when they were drinking the handwriting on the wall the Babylonians were drinking from the vessels from the temple and and they were captured in one night by Darius and then three three years later when Cyrus uh became the king of the Medes and the Persians. And give a little history. In 536, Darius dies and Cyrus becomes the sole ruler. 536, Daniel reads Isaiah 45 about Cyrus. He reads it to Cyrus. 45 verse 1 is where it talks about Cyrus. 536, Cyrus decrees to rebuild Jerusalem, and that's that's when uh, Ez, or, uh, Zerubbabel comes back. And then 536 uh, years, it ends the captivity. So, anyway, I just think this is a cool chart. If anybody uh, wants me to send that to you, I can. It looks like there's some historical thing about Cyrus here, too. and So, I, I don't want to get too far off, but anyway... I like that kind of stuff, and hopefully, hopefully, it's given us a big picture of this this book and our Bible. And everybody see that okay? Or questions or thoughts? Yeah. I did. I saw that uh, it's from uh, the time of the judges and. They're saying it's as big as the Dead Sea Scrolls, fighting something like that. They, so they've actually dated, because most people don't think, you know, Moses could write or things like that. And
Wow. Yep, I, I did hear about that. I, just, I barely caught it, so thank you for bringing that up, because that, that's very relevant to what we're saying here. Yeah. Yeah, the Bible's true. Hello. Yep. Yep. So, uh, anyway, this this graph shows us because the Jews did not give the land rest for 490 years, God's going to let it rest for 70 years while they're in captivity. That That's kind of the point. Um, so right at the bottom of your page, let's, let's continue to read uh, number two there. The land is to rest. Angie read the verses in Leviticus. And then it says, by the time Jehoiakim was set upon the throne by Pharaoh, the Jews had robbed God of 70 Sabbath years, equaling 490 years, which is seven times 70. The long-suffering of God is seen in the 490 years of violation of Sabbath concerning the land. Now they would be deported for 70 years so the land could rest or could have its Sabbath rest. And uh, Jeff True put on here, another interesting side note is this. 70 times 7, or 7 times 70, this was also the number of times Jesus said to Peter, that he should forgive his brother who offended him in Matthew 18. <coughs> so I guess that's the time God's uh, mercy uh, ended uh, when they violated his law 490 years in a row. And then the top of your third page, it says besides breaking... Uh, the breaking of the Sabbath and the indentured of their brethren. <clears throat> a second reason for God's indignation was the idolatry they practiced that led them to being an apostate people. The Jews had fallen into gross moral decay. Sexual immorality was rampant among the citizens of Jerusalem. Idolatry was practiced on every street corner with shrines to various deities built by the people to make their offerings. <clears throat> As we have seen with King Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 36, God's word had been scorned and Judah had turned their backs to the Lord. This is the definition of apostasy, the turning away from what one once believed. Jeremiah 42 is a chapter that clearly outlines the moral degradation of Jerusalem and Judah due to their apostasy and idolatry. In verse 23, Jeremiah declares God's judgment to them. It says in Jeremiah 44, 23, Because ye have burned incense, and because ye have sinned against the Lord, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, nor walked in his law, nor in his statutes, nor in his testimony, therefore this evil has happened unto you as at this day. <clears throat> and so... The reason they went to captivity was breaking of the Sabbaths. The second reason was apostasy and idolatry. And the third reason is letter C, the sins of Manasseh. Some say uh, Manasseh, but I, I say Manasseh. <clears throat> so another charge and cause of God's indignation was King Manasseh, who was the son of good King Hezekiah. He was certainly not a chip off the old block. For Hezekiah excelled in godliness, Manasseh excelled in wickedness. There's uh, some references there. Uh, the name Manasseh is actually in Jeremiah. And uh, then it says Manasseh was the product of the corruption that idolatry causes. He offered his own children as a sacrifice to his demon gods, and he practiced magic and other forms of occultism. It was in the land, in this land, noted for its idolatry and wickedness and animosity toward the one true God that Israel was carried into captivity. And then Jeff put in bold here, the Jews were banished to a place where their hard attitude already resided, a place of idolatry and hostility toward the one true God. The consequence of their habitual unrepentance was they that they were led captives, led away captives, taking away their homes and transferred to the land of their conquerors 
in the breaking of the covenant, they lost the land. <clears throat> and my teaching point here, <clears throat> which was Jeff's, uh, when the word of God is ignored and violated, divine judgment, sooner or later, is inevitable. The spiritual lessons embodied in the cold fact of the captivity may well be pondered by the church today, by our own nation today, too often having a form of godliness without knowing the power of it. And then he underlined, worldly saints do not capture the world, but become instead the world's captives. And this is uh, John Wolford. I think that's out of Dallas Theological. And that's out of his book to Daniel uh, on Daniel. <laughs> and it lists the page number and everything there. But uh, anyway, that is, that is a good sobering point, isn't it? We, we must not <clears throat> ignore or violate the Word of God. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's end. The, we got three minutes here. <clears throat> Uh, now, some of this is speculation. We don't know how Jeremiah died, but uh, tradition has it that he was stoned to death in Egypt by the Jews, and when Alex, uh, and that when Alexander entered Egypt, he rescued his ones from obscurity and buried them in Alexandria. And the other, I meant to leave this as a blank, but I, I accidentally gave you my notes, but... This last, this last thing I want to end on here today is kind of interesting. There's something, has anybody ever even heard of a destiny stone or stone of destiny or coronation stone? I had not. You, you have? Well, uh, so, so let me just describe what it is, or let, let me show you this picture. So this will get to the point uh, quicker. So this is, I think from the 1300s, this chair was built. So so what they believe is, we've all heard the story probably of Jacob making a, a pillow out of a stone, and he had a vision of angels descending and ascending and the throne of God. It's in it's in uh, Genesis 28. So he had this rock for a pillow. So what I'm getting ready to tell you now is just legend. This is not Bible, but so the legend is that Moses even carried this stone. It, 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 this stone was preserved and kept by Joshua and carried through the wilderness by Moses. And through the judges, and they believed that it was in Jerusalem at the time Nebuchadnezzar conquered it. And so what they think is that Jeremiah may have hidden the Ark of the Covenant. He knew the Babylonian. He may have hidden the Ark of the Covenant. He may have took this stone that Joseph or Jacob used for a pillow. And this legend is that... Uh, and you can read a little bit about it there. This is from 1951 that Jim wrote to me uh, in this paragraph there. But Jeremiah took this stone, and as an old man, he went to Spain and even up into Ireland. And so the Irish kept this stone, and uh, for hundreds of years they ordained their kings on this stone, I don't know if you can see, there's a there's about a two or three hundred pound stone at the bottom of this. This is a big rock. And so they, and then it, and then it went to Scotland, and there's some pictures. And then this stone was carried from Scotland to England, and England, but my understanding is they, uh, I think it was 1953 that Queen Elizabeth was crowned the queen of England and she was crowned on this stone. So a lady that's alive today was crowned on this stone. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I think in 1996 the Scots asked for it to come back. So I think it's in Scotland right now is what I think. So there's articles about this and I gave you at the bottom of your handout <clears throat> this this video 
It mentions that the stone that Joseph used for a pillar is the stone that Jeremiah carried to Ireland. And it says it will be the stone that Jesus is crowned on. So that's kind of speculation, but that's kind of cool. We we don't really put much clout in, in relics. I mean, all of us would maybe like to have an actual King James 1611 Bible. But anyway, this is something from old times. And I, uh, if you want to look up that video, they, they did a pretty good video. It's like a 1960s video that if you want to watch, it's a 28 minute. I didn't, I didn't watch it today, but it's like 28 minutes, uh, that tells about this stone. So I wanted to leave you with that. It'd be kind of cool if Jesus was ordained on this very rock, wouldn't it? And if it really was Jacob's pillar. Yeah. Yes, it is in John 1. Yeah, it does say that in John chapter 1, I believe, Pat. Yeah. No, it, it says it a little bit different, but it, yeah. So it's it's a quote from Genesis twenty eight, yeah. Right, and it's like this is 